0: Well, it's good to be with you tonight and to open our Bibles together. That's the book that we're studying from, and I encourage you to open in the New Testament to the only book whose author is a little bit ambiguous. So to our younger people, which book would that be? You don't have to answer out loud, but there's most of the books we know that either Paul or Peter wrote them, but tonight we're looking at a book that we don't know the author of. We know that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of all these great books. But if you would open to the book of Hebrews chapter 1 where we're going to begin here in just a moment. Thank you for being here tonight. As Brother Jason already pointed out, we have a number of individuals who are visiting with us, and we're thankful for your presence, thankful for the fact that you care about these biblical things that we are concerned about. And as we engage in the study of God's Word, it is good to be together tonight. We are going to turn our attention tonight to a subject that we have been dealing with now for the last few months in talking about angels, We've been looking at angels and understanding angels better and understanding them a little bit more appropriately as one brother and I were talking about at the outset of our services tonight or before we really got started. The idea being there's a lot of misteaching on the subject of angels in denominational circles and we're doing our best to give some clarity and to understand them better. And we're going to start here in Hebrews chapter 1 as we think about The reference to Jesus Christ and the ways in which angels interacted in his life in various forms and on various occasions. Different scenes, you may say, in the life of Jesus. Thank you for being here tonight. Just as a way of just kind of a personal thing, we are so very blessed at Northfield Boulevard with so many different things, with so many different people. Appreciate Brother David's sermon, appreciate all of his sermons, but encourage you to go and listen to his sermon this morning Uh, which launched into Joshua chapter 6. You know, uh, David talked a few months ago about the pleasure of working with me. Uh, I am very uh, happy to work with him as well. And we stand ready to those who are Christians, to those who are non-Christians, to study and to engage in those various studies to help you draw closer to Christ. That being said, we are also willing to study with animals. Uh, This is a picture that you thought would never exist, and David is going to be so upset with me tomorrow, Uh, but this is Minnie, and Minnie studies with us every Tuesday, and Minnie's probably watching tonight from home, Uh, but you know that David is an avid dog lover. He loves dogs inside of his house. All of you that know David know that's probably not the case at all. And so we have some difference of opinions on the way, but this is how dedicated we are. Sometimes he, he will hold many as I, w- I will study and lead the study, and then I'll hold. And then we, we, So if you have animals and you're worried about us uh, studying, uh, we will work with you. John has the gospel dog, as often appears on some of our Zoom studies. But this is another uh, instance where we are willing to be all things to all men and all animals and studying God's word together. But on a serious note, we are happy to study with you anytime at any place, we're trying to understand angels better, and we're looking at angels as ministers of Jesus Christ. We talked a few months ago about the roles that angels play. And one of the key roles played by angels is that they are ministers. In fact, it's really kind of a, 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 a statement on top of a statement that to say that angels are messengers and are ministers because we have already discussed that by definition an angel is a messenger or is a minister of the Lord God himself. So what I want us to do tonight is to look at the comparison between the angels that have existed since God created them, and Jesus Christ, who is eternal. And there's a difference between those two things. One is created. One group of individuals are created. One individual is eternal, Jesus himself. Then I want to look at four different scenes in the life of Jesus, from the beginning to the end, even to his return, as we'll close and make some just broad applications in our study together this evening. We have said that angels appear so many different times in so many different books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. It stands to reason that Jesus and angels are going to appear in the same text together from time to time. And so understanding the roles that angels played in the life of Jesus may be helpful in understanding the roles that they played elsewhere in the past. Or could play at other times in biblical history or biblical circumstances. And of course, a study on this particular subject would be incomplete without looking at what the Hebrew writer has to say. And that's why I asked you to open to Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to read the first four to six verses here just at the outset of our study together. This is a very powerful statement. It is a very long English sentence. I was joking with someone a few weeks ago that if you were to turn in biblical text to your English professor, they may mark it up and say it's too long of a sentence. But God says this is not too long of a sentence. And I understand there's a difference between sentences in Greek versus there are in English. But he says there in verse 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets... As in these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." So that is not only the lengthy introduction to the letter, the book of Hebrews, that we read from and study from and appreciate, it is also an introduction to the next major section of the first chapter of the book of Hebrews where he talks about the the, the role of angels and the comparison between Jesus and the angels. And so it is without a doubt that this makes sense given the purpose of the letter as outlined in the first paragraph or the first sentence of the letter. Look, if you would, beginning in verse 5, and we're just going to read two verses here. We may come back and re-highlight these verses and add a little bit more to it at the close of our study, but just go, if you would, to verses 5 and 6, where it says, For to which of the angels did he, now that's our Lord, that's our God, that's our Creator, ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn to the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. I think it's very appropriate that tonight we have already uh, joined in song. We will glorify the king of kings. Uh, we talk about and sing about angels worshiping God and giving glory to God and rendering praise to God and doing the various things that God has dispatched them to do. I'm not sure that there are any songs that we sing, and for that matter, I'm not sure it would be appropriate for us to sing songs where we say we're going to praise the angels. But the fact is, is we live in a religious world where there seems to be more focus put often on angels than there are on than there is on Jesus the Christ. So we've got to make sure that we keep the focus where it needs to be. And I understand the irony in spending seven or eight months looking at the subject of angels may seem to suggest that you're talking about angels an awful lot. It's not to say that they are unimportant or that there are things we can't learn from them, but it is to say that we need to understand them in comparison to Jesus the Christ. And there really is no comparison is what the Hebrew writer is saying here. You have created beings, at some point created by God, and we speculated a little bit about that a couple of months ago in January and February, but you have Jesus who is eternal. You and I are immortal in the sense that we have souls, but we have a beginning and then a physical end and then a spiritual immortality associated with us, which is different from Jesus the Christ who, even beyond our comprehension, has no beginning and has no end. I can't explain that to you as i've as I've said a couple of different times in this series. But I believe and I know from Scripture that he has no beginning and that he has no end. Angels are those who worship Jesus Christ. In this fact, at least it seems to me, makes perfect sense given the fact of everything that we know about Jesus, as I highlighted at the outset of our study just a moment or two ago. I want to look at just three or four passages in real quick succession here. And the first of those is in Ephesians chapter 1 recently finished a fairly detailed study of the book of Ephesians with some brethren from across the pond. And uh, we were studying the book of Ephesians, and we came across these verses. And in verse 20, it says, He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, and far above power and might and dominion in every name that is named, Only in this age, not only, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. Who's the his? That's Jesus. What's all things? That's everything, including angels. All things under his feet to be head over all things to the church. You know, you'll go to various, or you may be familiar with various denominations or religious organizations where they talk about the angel of blank, and they'll talk about the holy church of the angel of blank. This is the church of Christ, not the church of an angel. And there's a difference between that. We have to make sure that we keep the focus where the focus deserves to be. Again, we will glorify the king of kings, as Joseph appropriately led us in song tonight. Or in Colossians, just a couple of pages over in your Bible, just by way of introduction here in verse 16. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, I would submit that there's a number of different things there in those four different subjects or nouns in verse 16. But angels needs to be inserted in there. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. So that would include the angelic beings. And remember if you would what we talked about in Genesis chapter 1. That God said let us create man in our image. And then in Psalm 148, verses 1 and 5, particularly, if you want to go back and re-note those verses, you may have highlighted it from one of our previous studies on angels. We see that there is indeed a significance into the superiority of Jesus himself. One more comment. on on the comparison of Jesus. And that is something that you may come across. And that is in Hebrews chapter two, verse nine. And that is, is there a contradiction that is made? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter two and verse nine, where it says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels." For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Someone might say, well, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, you were talking about Jesus being superior. But here you have in verse 9 of chapter 2, where it says, Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Well, as with so many circumstances in biblical study, if you read a verse or two prior and you read a verse or two following, you'll probably get more clarity to what you have read. So let's go ahead and do that and let's read the verses that would follow. Or in this case, I want to actually go backwards uh, or go backwards one verse to verse eight. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he may put all in subjection under him. This is verse 8. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. Remember that the recipients, before we get to verse 10 here, and we'll breeze through verses 10 through 18 very quickly for the sake of time, that the Hebrew writer is addressing Christians who have either said we are done or we are close to being done, and not in a good way. Remember? These are Christians who have come from a Jewish background or at the very least been influenced by a strong Jewish background, and they're thinking that this Christianity thing is really tough, really challenging, really taxing. And the writer is saying, do not give up, do not give in. And so in verse 10, he says, For it was fitting for him from whom all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. Then drop down to about verse 16. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. I think he just said what I think he just said there. Verse 17, therefore in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Who's he talking about in verse 17? He's talking about the Savior, the Christ. He's saying that he had to make him to a point where he is able to relate to us after all, chapter 4, chapter 8, chapter 9, that he is going to be a high priest who can sympathize with us, who can bear with our weaknesses. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. The writer here is, it seems to me, and this is beyond the scope of our study together tonight, is declaring the supremacy of Christ and the humanity of Christ in conjunction with one another. That's the, that's the argument that he's making here, uh, it seems to me. So let me share with you four quick scenes in the life of Jesus. And the first of those is in the early life of Jesus. The Bible records a number of significant events that transpired before the birth of Jesus and early in his life wherein angels were involved. And I want to look at four of those occasions very quickly and we'll spend just 60 to 90 seconds on each of these, and we'll look at them, and you can go back and look at them in further succession if you'd like. First of all, remember the announcement to Mary, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We'll just read maybe three or four verses there, but Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Notice what happens there in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, we talked about Gabriel when we talked about specific angels by name. Was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Rejoice. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Verse 28. Verse 30. Do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You know, we have said a lot about the roles that angels played as being these messengers of God? And I don't know the answer to it, but God could have chosen to deliver this message to Mary in a number of different ways. He could have had different spokesmen or individuals or prophets come and specifically say to her in in, in a similar fashion as the prophets would have done five or 600 years ago. Micah, for example, comes to mind. But he chose an angel to come and to deliver this message to Mary before his birth. Similarly, we see an announcement that is made to Joseph. And that is in Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 through 24. Again, we'll spend just 60 to 90 seconds on this, uh, these seven verses here. But in Matthew chapter uh, 1 and verse 18, this is a very familiar text in part because it's the first page of the New Testament. And sometimes you might get a little bogged down in your New Testament reading. You always get the first page. You always get Matthew 1, and then by the time February, March, April rolls around, maybe you get a little uh, off schedule with your readings. But it says, The birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. As he thought about the things that were troubling him in verse 20... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for what has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So you have... Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1 really uh, working in tandem to share these messages by angels or by an angel. We have the recorded name in Luke chapter 1. We have an unrecorded name in Matthew chapter 1. Whether it's the same angel or not is left up to us to wonder. But again, God could have chosen to deliver that message through any way he chose to do so, but he chose an angel. Thirdly, the announcement of his birth. Go back to Luke, this time to chapter 2. And look, if you would, at verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds watching over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid, verse 9. And the angel speaks and says, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then he goes on to describe the signs that will be associated with the presence of this the Messiah. And then... We won't take the time to read a lot of these verses because we're throwing a lot of verses on the screen as we're talking about a lot of different texts, but the protection for the young child, because you remember that the king found out that there was a threat to him and a threat to uh, his political authority, and so what did he decide to do? Virtually everybody in the world who's familiar with one particular holiday could probably tell you what that is because of what is taught Uh, in Matthew chapter 2, and in Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, where they go to Egypt. And who was it that was responsible for helping them get there and get that message across? You'll find there in those six verses, again, the presence of an angelic being. I say all this because it seems to me fitting that angels played significant roles in Christ's early life, As they would continue to play a role in his life for the rest of his 30-some years, and even in the life when he is resurrected and then when he comes back. Which brings us then to where the majority of the Gospels find their territory or find their time, and that is in the ministry of Jesus Christ. The teaching, the miracles, the various aspects of the parables that he would teach, and tried to get this message across to men and women early in the first century. When we are first reintroduced to Jesus Christ when he's an adult, when he has launched out on his own, and he is now the teacher, the masterful man that he uh, we know him to be, It is, again, fitting that angels were a part of the story. Let me suggest to you two aspects here, one at the beginning and one at the end of the gospel story. One of those is Jesus in the wilderness. You remember what happened there? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. Again, a text that you're likely familiar with, the first 10 or so verses. It says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit, in verse 1, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry and the tempter came and he says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil took him up into the holy city, put him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Interestingly enough, a side point, one that we're really not trying to make is that the devil is a very good Bible student. Sometimes he's a better Bible student than we are, and he is quoting from Scripture about angels. Think of all the irony there, just for a moment. Verse 7, Jesus says, It is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on exceeding the high mountain and showed him all the keenness of the world and the glory. All these things I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me, Jesus says, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall worship. And the devil left him and not his disciples, not the apostles that we'll read about, not a human being, but who comes and comforts him, provides him assistance, the angels. So there in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, the new King James says that angels came and they ministered to him. Well, if you fast forward three years, and this is one of those spoiler alert sermons, uh, things look kind of bleak for Jesus, but then he comes forth from the grave. We find where Jesus is in the garden in the literal closing hours of his life on earth as we call them, except for the time that he would, of course, live forever and be resurrected. And that's found in numerous passages in the Gospels, but I want to go to Luke 22 and read Luke's account beginning in verse 39. Luke 22, verse 39, uh, the disciples had argued, they had... Uh, engaged in some sort of a dialogue after the institution of what we call the Lord's Supper, what he called the Lord's Supper. And then in verse 39, it says, "'Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, "'Pray that you may not enter into temptation.' And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed.'" Saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then what happens in verse 43? An angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. Not Peter, not James, not John, not Andrew, not any of the others, but an angel comes and appears and gives him help. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And he arose from the prayer and came to his disciples and found them sleeping and sad or in sorrow. These angels appear and strengthen Jesus, or an angel comes and appears and strengthens Jesus. By the way, this word strengthen is used only twice in the New Testament. The other one is found in the book of Acts chapter 9 and verse 19, where we find this particular statement that is made. So he had received food and he was strengthened. Remember, that was Saul of Tarsus after he had been on the roads to Damascus. He had been taught by Ananias. He had been blind for those three days. After he was baptized, it says he was strengthened. I think it's interesting that that word isn't used very liberally in the New Testament. The idea that an angel comes and strengthens Jesus. Can you imagine the honor associated with that angel, whoever he may be. And when we talk about he, again, we stated that angels uh, do not have gender in the human way that we talk about. Angels appear to Jesus to give him all kinds of support, physical, mental, and emotional, in order to do the Lord's mission. I think there's something to be said for that. Let's talk about a third scene, and that is the darkest scene, and that is when he goes to the cross, And we have sang about the cross, we have talked about the cross, Uh, we partook of the Lord's Supper today by thinking about Jesus dying on the cross, and as Brother Brian took us through this morning, him dying so that the sin could be on him and laid on his back and on his shoulders. But near the end of the life of Jesus, he stated that he actually had the ability to be rescued by legions of angels. He didn't say, my God will send an army of humans, but my God, if I were to ask him, I know, he says, that I can call and these angels will come and, and rescue me. That's what our scripture reading was from in Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 through about verse 54, 53. There are a lot of things that I've imagined in the Bible or imagined uh, extra biblical that would happen. One of those is this, can you imagine God's angels witnessing what the son was going through? As one preacher said years ago, it was almost as if the angels were uh, at the starting line, ready to roll, saying, you give us the word, we'll go get him. And we'll stop this nonsense from happening, except God says it's not nonsense. And except the son says it's not nonsense at all. The angels who don't have the infinite knowledge that God has because they are created beings by God, Psalm 148, verse 5, they don't understand the broader picture of what God was trying to accomplish. And the angels say, Father, do you want us to go? And maybe through tears, he says, no. And and maybe the angels that were strengthening Jesus in the garden mere hours before whispered and said, You know what? We'll strengthen you now. We'll strengthen you in the future. But Jesus says, I must endure this because why? I love mankind, and I love my Father, and I love the mission to which I have been assigned. I have come to this world not to destroy, but to save, Luke chapter 9. Angels were also present at the tomb, interestingly enough. Turn over, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. In the final chapter of the first book of the New Testament, it says in Matthew 28, in verse 1, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. If you're like me, I forget about all these instances where angels make these appearances. And when I reread these passages looking for angels, they just jump out to me. And I I, have found it fascinating. Behold, the great earthquake, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly. Tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. I just find it so fascinating that God could, again, have communicated these messages in any way he wanted to. But on such significant occasions, he says, I want the angel to do that. Furthermore, in the book of John chapter 20, we find this recorded in the gospel according to John, John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. The text records that Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept, and she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And here, verse 12 says, she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, and they said, woman, why are you weeping? Incredible statements made by angels, that's got to be one of them. Why are you crying? Because he is not dead. He is risen. This is spectacular news from an angel. These angels have appeared to give him physical, mental, and emotional strength in his mission, as we talked about in the previous slide. And the angels are now present when Jesus was at the tomb laying there, and then when he was risen from the dead. Angels were present when Jesus, when he left the earth to ascend back to heaven, as recorded in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. We find that whether they be in the garden on the night he was betrayed or part of the post crucifixion life, angels were given these important tasks and remember, perhaps one of the most important points that I wanted to make here in the final few moments of our study, that the Holy Spirit wanted us to know these things. I kind of joked about the the author of the book of Hebrews. We know that ultimately God wrote all the Bible. It is his divine inspired word. But the fact of the matter is, is whether it's Matthew or John or Luke or Mark or any other gospel writer, these are individuals who are writing as the Holy Spirit moved them, as Peter tells us in one of his epistles. And they were doing it because the Holy Spirit thought it was important to communicate these things. So, While we do not want to be engaged in just a purely academic study of angels over the course of seven or eight months in 2022, we do want to study them because apparently there's something that the Holy Spirit wants us to get from them. And I think that we have already tonight given away the biggest of those reasons and applications, which we'll come back to in the close in just the next four to five minutes. And that is when we look at the fourth and final venue or seen, and that is the return of Christ. We know that this is not the end of the story. If the sermon stops here, it is the most pitiful sermon you've ever heard, (laughs) and it's the saddest sermon you've ever heard, because even though Jesus rose again, what does that mean for me? But we know as believers of God's word, we know as Christians that Jesus is going to return. Now, again, there is a lot of misteaching on this subject in the religious world around us. There are individuals who will teach that Jesus is going to come up and set set up a kingdom on this earth for a period of X number of years, and that he's going to reign from physical Israel or Jerusalem, that some will be caught up and taken away in what's called a rapture. We know those things are not the case at all, uh, and that's beyond the scope of our study together uh, this afternoon. But I do want us to note, if you would, four passages that all talk about and reference the return of Christ And just watch for the presence of angels in these four passages. Three Gospels and one letter written by Paul. And you ought to know which letter we're going to. We'll give bonus points to those of you that can guess the letter in just a few moments. Let's start in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27. Matthew 16 verse 27. Matthew 16 is well known because of verse 16, 17, and 18. That was the conversation when Jesus uh, would say, as was also recorded in Mark chapter 8, he says, well, who do you say that I am? I know you tell me that others are saying that I may be John the Baptist risen from the dead or Elijah or one of the other prophets, but what about you? And famously in verse 18, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, drop down a paragraph to verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Those are rhetorical questions. Those are questions that we say, I, I, it's just silly to think about giving up something for my soul. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Again, I, if someone were to say, can you, can you summarize Matthew 16, the last sentence or two? I'm not sure that the presence of angels would appear in my summation without looking at it because I kind of forgot about that point. Jesus says, I'm coming back with my angels. Similarly, in Matthew chapter 25, we read chapter 24 a few moments ago, or parts of chapter 24. But in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Well, again, we see angels make this appearance with Jesus the Christ. In Mark chapter 8, in the very final verse of the chapter, for whoever is ashamed of me, Mark 8 verse 38, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with The Holy Angels. And then, some of you guessed already that we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians because of the powerful teaching of both 1 and 2 Thessalonians on this particular subject. Uh, I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with 1 and 2 Thessalonians, to, to read them at some time in your leisure and understand that there's so much great teaching found within But there is a frightening aspect to the coming of Jesus. You know, this morning we said there's a great day coming, there's a bright day coming, and then I I probably have admitted this before, but um, I've always disliked verse 3 of that song. I, I sing it because it's right, but I don't like it. I don't have to like it. It says there's a sad day coming, and I never liked that. Even as a small boy, I realized that there's going to be a sad day for individuals who are not faithful to the Lord. I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to sing that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that it makes me sad to to sing verse 3 because it is going to be a sad affair. But in verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this all makes perfect sense if you go back to the previous letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica with whom he had that special relationship that we just talked about two weeks ago in Brother Brian's class in the book of Acts chapter 17. When in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, nor do you. And I, I, I hesitate to think that we're going to really see a lot of angels. I think we're going to see a whole lot of Jesus. I think we're going to keep our eyes fixed on him. I think that the beauty of of, of the passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, therefore comfort one another with these words, is that we ought not be alarmed about his return because we are excited about the end. We're excited about when I go home, as we sometimes sing. But this all makes perfect sense as outlined in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Well, here's where I want us to close with tonight, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. And that is when Jesus came to this earth, angels were present and announcing it. During his life, they were present, strengthening him. At the end, they were there to comfort him. When he laid in the tomb and then after the tomb, they were there to roll back the stone and he was raised from the dead. And then when he returns again, Jesus will come with angels because Jesus left the earth with angels that were present. Jesus will return with angels that are present. And I believe and submit to you as we began this evening that each of these events is very important to us because these are events that matter to us. More important than the day that uh, you get married or more important than the day you are born, even more important than the day you die is the day when this ultimately comes to fruition and the end comes and we get to go home. And angels will be there. We'll see them. Again, I'm not sure how much we'll pay attention to them. We'll just be, I, I have a feeling we'll be such an awe of the Son and of the Father when we see him. But we'll see the angels, it seems to me, as outlined by the scriptures. And we understand as we began that Jesus is far superior to those angels. And this is the church that belongs to Christ. And we want to do what the Christ has said. Now the angels have shared with us many important messages as we've talked about over the course of the last few months. But we do what Jesus says and we do what Jesus our Lord commands. And we are encouraging you tonight as we continue to think about understanding angels better to do the things that the Lord has asked you to do. As Brother David pointed out this morning, There are those who are present tonight, just like this morning, that are already Christians and already doing what the Lord wants them to do, but maybe you've lost sight of the messages that have come from God, and maybe you aren't being obedient and worshiping God the way that you should, and we would welcome the opportunity to pray with you and to help you to draw closer to God as as He will draw closer to you, as the Scriptures teach in James chapter 4. If you are here and you are not a Christian, we are asking and pleading and begging and imploring and doing everything we can in our power to get you to think about making the change before it's too late, before those times come, because you do not want to see Jesus and the angels and not be prepared, because that would certainly be a sad day for you. And so if we can help you in any way, to encourage you or to assist you in becoming a Christian tonight, let us know while we stand and while we sing.